this morning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 35. Sunday nights we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and uh, on Sunday mornings we've been taking a little something out of that larger section of scriptures that we go through, and we're currently in the book of Isaiah in that journey. And uh, we find our passage in Isaiah chapter 35 this morning. If you're with us here today and you don't have a Bible, men have Bibles and they're coming up the aisle right now and you just get their attention, they'll get a Bible into your hands and it'll be marked right to the passage we're studying and that way you can hear the Word of God and then see it with your own eyes and it'll have double the impact for you. And uh, you never want to trust someone like me up here behind a pulpit just saying stuff without being able to look down on the Bible and see if it's there uh, as well. So I like the accountability, and uh, that Bible uh, helps you do that in my life. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8. The word of the Lord. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. And whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the broad diversity of things that you address in your word, things that we need to impact our spirit and our heart and our uh, our minds and our uh, bodies, Lord. And so we pray that you take this passage and every intention of yours for putting it in your your book that that would be accomplished in each one of our lives those that stand before you we know you we love you we've trusted in jesus for the forgiveness of our sins you want this passage to have a certain impact upon our lives we pray that you would bless us in that way lord for those that stand before you that haven't yet trusted in Jesus. They don't have everlasting life in a relationship with you yet. This passage has something else to say to them. And we pray that you would give them a supernatural ability to hear that. Not merely a sermon or a teaching or a talk, Lord, but you talking specifically and directly into their life as their maker and as the one who wants to also be their heavenly Father. And we pray for this work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I tell you, life is full of so many different experiences, so many different emotions that we um, experience, even the course of a day, let alone in the course of a lifetime. Good experiences, good emotion, as well as bad experiences in life and the bad emotions that go with them. I think one of the greatest feelings that a person can experience in life is the feeling of being protected, the feeling of being safe. 
That is a priceless feeling when that is something that a person feels. It's priceless if we feel it for a minute. It's priceless if we feel it for five minutes. And it's really priceless if it becomes our the portion of our life, the constant in our life. Surely one of the worst feelings in life is that of being lost, to not know where you are at the moment, to not know what direction you're headed in, not knowing what is the right direction to go in, not knowing the path that we're on, where it's going to lead ultimately uh, in this life, to say nothing of the life to come. I think that perhaps maybe some of us in this room, if not all of us or most of us in this room, know what it's like to have been lost for a moment or two uh, or a minute or two or an hour or two or even longer sometime in life and maybe even especially as a child. Perhaps you remember a time in your life as a very young child having lost sight of mom or dad in the store or in the mall and everybody thought that somebody else was uh, watching you and somehow you got lost and you got overlooked as the family headed in all their different directions and the next, next thing you know that you're lost. And that panic that comes over you at a moment like that, you begin to run up and down the aisles calling out for mom and for dad, no success in finding them and then suddenly it dawns on you that you're in worse trouble than you thought, that you really are actually lost. And the emotion you feel is very, very strong. This combination of fear and a sense of danger and vulnerability and, uh, and all of that uncertainty comes together to produce kind of a, a disorientation in uh, your life and your head begins to spin. I remember being lost in just that way in a store one time some 50-plus years ago. And I'll tell you, I can still feel and remember the emotion of it. The interesting thing is that this feeling that we feel at a moment like that, that experience, isn't limited to small children. It can happen just as readily in an adult uh, perhaps you've had this experience. We've all certainly read about it and been emotionally engaged in it when we've heard maybe a friend tell the story or read it in the newspaper or seen it upon the news where someone takes a wilderness hike and uh, the day begins to get late. It's now time to head back to the car and you start to make your way back and suddenly you realize, I don't recognize anything that I'm seeing uh, all around me. And there's that realization that now I'm lost and now the sun is going down and it's beginning to get dark. And if you've ever been in that place, those same emotions that happen to a kid happens to an adult. There is this fear and this panic, this sense of danger. What's going to happen? And a person begins to feel disoriented in the middle of all of it. And to save your life, you can't figure out how you got where you are, how to get out, how to get back to safety, and it's an awful feeling. Uh, sometimes this very same thing happens as an adult. If you've maybe visited a, a, another city or you've driven to a city that you're not familiar with, 
and uh, you rent a car, maybe driving your own car, and you take an off-ramp off of the freeway, and you head into a part of town that was a wrong turn, and you realize you are in the wrong neighborhood to be in, in the middle of the night, and you realize this is one dangerous place that I have turned off into, and you don't know how you got there, you don't know how to get out of there, you don't know the way out, and all of a sudden there's this instant panic and uh, this disorientation and uh, worried and, uh, and fear that happens in all of it, and it's a miserable, miserable feeling. But this kind of thing, the sense of not knowing where I am at the moment and what direction I'm headed in and, and not knowing if it's the right direction and not knowing uh, where my path is going to ultimately take me in life. That doesn't just happen in our lives solely as a result of being physically lost. In fact, the fear and the disorientation that we feel over being physically lost often pales in comparison to the panic and the fear and the disoriented feeling that we can feel at being lost emotionally or mentally or spiritually at a moment in time in our life where we wake up one day and we realize, I don't have the foggiest idea where I am in life. I don't know what direction I'm going in in life. I don't know what direction I should be heading in life. And I'm old enough that I ought to know what direction to be heading in. I don't know what to aim for in life. I'm lost. I am emotionally and mentally and spiritually lost. I know where I am physically, but everything else is a crapshoot. I don't have any idea about up or down or how it's going to happen in my life emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, where I am and where I should be going. And sometimes we don't give this any kind of thought in our lives until something happens, this sense of being lost. We don't even feel it until something happens one day in our life that wakes us up to it, some disorienting experience. And sometimes it's a divorce or some betrayal, deep betrayal in a personal relationship of some sort that happens in our life. Sometimes it happens in a loss of a job or a major financial loss or some medical diagnosis that we receive or uh, the news of the death of a loved one. And then up to this point, you have felt emotionally and mentally and spiritually secure. But now this, this experience in life has you feeling like someone has dropped you into some kind of a vast wilderness area without a map or a compass or a means of self-protection, and you don't know what direction to go in. You don't know what destination to aim for. All you know is that at this point in time in life, you feel very unsafe, your life is filled with fear, and you need to get someplace safe. And in our Bible passage this morning, the Lord describes a highway that he has provided to you and me that provides physical and emotional and mental 
and spiritual safety for us because he is interested, the Bible says, in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, and in our strength. And he's interested that every part of our lives in this way, that it be healthy and that it be well-directed. Otherwise, how can we love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength and love our neighbor as ourself, as Jesus tells us is the encapsulation of all of the law and the prophets. Now, this passage from Isaiah has three principal applications. It has an application to the Jews who return to uh, Jerusalem and to Israel following their captivity in the land of Babylon. It also has an application to the kingdom age, a coming age, Jesus' thousand-year reign on this earth that uh, comes to pass following his second coming. And it also has an application to today, to our pilgrimage as Christians in this world, to our making our way from here and now in our life, sitting here in this sanctuary, to making our way to our ultimate destination, our ultimate home, which is heaven itself. And that's the application I want us to give ourselves to this morning. I want you to notice several things about this highway of holiness that God has provided to us. First, and I think perhaps most importantly, is how in the world do we access this highway? What good is a highway or a toll road or a safe road if I don't know how to get on it, if I don't know what the on-ramp is or where the on-ramp to it is? And in verse 9, we're told that the redeemed of the Lord shall walk there. We draw our attention to that word redeemed. It's the redeemed of the Lord that are on this highway That word redeemed, as it's generally used in the Bible and as it's used here, it means to release upon the payment of a ransom. Now, in the ancient world, slavery was very, very common. And so there were all, in all of these different cities, there would be these places where uh, people would, for some reason, some kind of a difficulty would occur in their life. They would incur debt that they couldn't repay. They would then be taken into slavery as a result of that. And then there would be these places where slaves would be sold then to people who would buy them. This filled the ancient world. It was very common at the time of the Roman Empire, at the time of the writing of the New Testament. It's estimated there were at least six million slaves in the Roman Empire. So when the Bible uses the language redeemed, we have to stop and think about that a little bit because slavery isn't a part of our current present tense in terms of the history of this country. It's something that we know about from our past, but it isn't a part of our daily experience. For them, they would have known immediately what uh, the writer uh, Isaiah was talking about in terms of redemption or when Paul speaks of redemption in the New Testament. For us, we have to stop and think about it a little bit. It means to be released upon the payment of a ransom. Where someone is held in slavery because of their debt, they're in a debtor's prison and unable to free themselves. They can't buy their freedom. 
by virtue of their own resources, but then a relative or someone else then steps in with the wealth to pay off the debt and then secure this man or this woman's release. That was redemption. That is redemption. They've been redeemed. That is, they have been released upon the payment of a ransom. Someone might wonder, what does this have to do at all with me or with us? Well, redemption is precisely what God has done for us in Christ. The Bible teaches that once we were slaves to sin, we were slaves to the world and to the devil and slaves to our own flesh. We had no hope of ever freeing ourselves from our sin and our selfishness. And so we languished in this prison of sin and selfishness and we couldn't free ourselves through our own human effort or our own strength. But the Bible teaches that God stepped in and he paid the price to secure our freedom from the bondage of our sin. And what was the price that was required in order to gain our freedom? And the Bible tells us it was the precious, sinless blood or life of Christ. A slave could be freed with the payment of money, but no amount of money can ever set a sinner free. Only the blood or the life of Christ shed upon that cross of Calvary can set a sinner free. Peter put it this way in the New Testament. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without without blemish and without spot. You see... That is how you access the highway of holiness. By putting my trust or my faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, by saying to God, God, I believe your assessment of me. I am a sinner. I've been less than perfect all of my life. I believe that my sin has separated me from a relationship with you. But I also believe what Jesus said that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so I put my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe he was buried and he rose again on the third day, and he is the Savior that pleases you. I put my trust in him. And when a person does that, the person of the Holy Spirit then comes into your life, and you're born again by the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said. It's a spiritual birth, and it's as real as your physical birth. That's how dramatic the change occurs within our lives when we're born again. God comes into your life, and in an instant, you are bought out of slavery and then placed upon this highway of holiness. We access this life, we access this highway by virtue of putting our faith in the Lord. And access to this highway, the glory that's found on this, in this life and on this path, it's available to everyone. Because salvation is available to everyone. The old saying is there's none that are so bad that 
they can't be saved, and there are none that are so good that they don't need to be saved. Anyone can have access to this highway. There's room for everyone. Heaven is going to be made up of people from every, the Bible says, every kindred, tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And so why shouldn't it be made up of you as well? Why shouldn't you be on that highway with the tens and hundreds of millions that are on there even today? And only the only ones that are excluded from this highway are those who exclude themselves by rejecting Christ. But that's not God's heart for any person. God's heart related to you, related to your salvation is this. He is not willing, the Bible says, that anyone should perish. You realize that's the heart of God today. If he had his will concerning every single life, there wouldn't be a single person in hell. There wouldn't be a single person in Hades. There wouldn't be a single person ultimately in the eternal lake of fire. Everyone that ends up there, ends up there against his will. He sent his son in order to save us from that kind of an end, the judgment that our sin deserves. And so if he had his will, all of us, every person would be saved. But he is a gentleman. He will never force a person into a relationship with himself. He will never force a person into a heaven that they do not want to go to. But he longs that every person would be upon this highway of holiness, and that's why he was willing to pay the price that he paid in order to gain us that access. Notice second in verse 10, this road has a destination at the end of it, and that destination is Zion. The destination is God's city. This speaks of heaven in terms of the New Testament. And so this pilgrimage, the pilgrimage of the redeemed, it ends up in heaven, which is the home of the redeemed. The writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way for the Christian. He said in chapter 12, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Zion represents heaven for us as Christians. It never ever does me any harm as a Christian to be reminded that this world is not my home, that I am just passing through this world. I am on a pilgrimage through this world to the place that is now my home, and heaven is my Home, and that heaven is a prepared place, Jesus declared. He said to the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions, many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and he said, For our citizenship, speaking to Christians, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul wrote to the church in Colossae in the same vein. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way, speaking of from this hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He said, these all died, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And this reminder that we're pilgrims and sojourners in this world, it protects us from putting expectations on this life that can only be realized in heaven. In life, when it disappoints us or even hurts us, it's good for us to be reminded that we're not in heaven yet, but that one day we will be because the road that we're on that is going to unfailingly one day deliver us there. And there will be a great homecoming celebration at the end of this journey. That this is not as good as it gets for us as Christians. The best is yet to come for us as we make our way ultimately into heaven. And so as Christians, we're not just kind of wandering through this life aimlessly, kind of... uh, doing whatever we're told to do or comes into our mind or the culture is, you know, telling us constitutes life. We are making our way toward heaven. In other words, our life has an aim. Our life has a goal. Our life has a destination. Our life has an end. And all of these things are good for the child of God. And God wants it to be true of everyone. We notice third in verse 8 that it's called a highway of holiness. In other words, this highway provides us with a holy path through life. And you think about how wonderful it is that there is a path that is holy that we can walk on through this life. Think about how priceless that is, how wonderful it is to anyone who has spent any time at all on the unholy paths in life. And then having spent some amount of time, for some of us some considerable amount of time, on those paths, and then to come to regret the bondage that we experience there, the loss of innocence that we experience there, the regret that is always found on those paths. And then one day to hear about a path that is holy, a path that is different, that God has supplied us with, and then to find ourselves on that path and to discover that it is everything that God declared that it would be to us. The word holy in the New Testament It means separated. It means different. It means to live a life that is separated from sin. So it's separated from something, from sin. But we are, as a holy people, separated to something. We are separated to God. 
And it is a separation from sin that allows us to be separated to God. And the reason that we want to be separated from sin, the highest motivation for being separated from sin in the life of Christian, as a Christian is because it is only then that I'm allowed to be separated unto God in the way that I want to be. As the old saying is, it takes a passion to conquer a passion. The key to conquering sin isn't to hate sin more. That'll never take us into any deep experience with holiness. The key to holiness is not to hate sin more, but to love God more. And so it is a path that is holy. It is a path that is separated. It's a path different from all of the other paths in uh, the world. There's so many definitions of holiness and unholiness today, even among Christians. There's so much legalism today or liberalism today. It's just the same old thing as all the way through history. You've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they exist in just the same numbers and the same strength with the same influence today as ever they had 2,000 years ago in marring what Judaism was They hijacked it from what God intended it to be and made it something entirely different from what God intended it to be. And the same thing happens today through legalism, adding to the Word of God, attempt to help God in His definitions of holiness and what it means to be a Christian. And we can never help Him by adding our own definitions to His single definition in the Bible. And liberalism or the Sadducees is then what they do is they take away the commandments of God. And uh, they think that they can improve the Christian life by saying, no, that doesn't apply today. That doesn't have any application to us today. We're modern people today. We're smart people today. We're intelligent people today. We're sophisticated people today. We're enlightened people today. Everybody knows that nobody believes that kind of a thing anymore. And so we can begin to take these commandments out of the Word of God. And in their mind, they think they're actually improving Christianity, making it more attractive and advancing its strength and its cause within the world. And all they do is they hijack Christianity and make it something that God never intended it to be. There is a single great definition of holiness in the Bible, and that definition is Christ. It is Jesus himself. No one ever lived a holier life in human history than the life that Jesus lived. And we need to take every definition of holiness and run it through his life and through his teaching and through his ministry. And if it does not match that, then it is not a true definition of holiness. And all of the commandments that are given in the Bible and in the New Testament, they're either a picture of Christ who was to come or the commandments that are given to us in the epistles in the New Testament. All those commandments are is a way that is telling us how to fully experience the life that has been purchased for us through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. But all of them speak to him. He is the great definition of holiness. And as we obey the example of his life, his teaching, 
all of the teachings of the Bible and we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit who's within us, then we know the joy and the sense of blessing that comes with living life as God intends it. And I'll tell you, I just want to praise the Lord this morning for the fact that he's provided a holy path to walk on in this life. I am so happy to be off of the paths I once walked on. I'm so happy to be off of the path of selfishness that I once gave my life to. And what a small, terrible person we become on that path. And the bondage and the sin of all of these paths that the world offers. And they never tell us the tremendous price that we're going to pay to be upon that path. And sometimes it takes us weeks and months and years before we discover that this isn't where life is found. This is not a place of holiness or goodness. This is an unholy place. And to know in this world that there is a highway of holiness, there is a life that can be lived, there is a way to live that Christ alone is provided for us that is different from the one that we once lived. And I'm so thankful to be off of my former paths and to be living on the path that he's provided, the highway of holiness, and I know that you are as well. Living the holy life would be its own reward if there were no heaven. I know that sometimes people look at it, and I have a little disagreement with the Apostle Paul on this, where you say, well, if there is no heaven on the other side of this life, then let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I would live this life today if there were no heaven. In contrast to the life that I once lived and the life that I'm now living Because of Christ and obedience to his word and the power of the Holy Spirit, the life that unfolds with that, I would live it if there were no heaven on the other side of this life. But there is a heaven on the other side of this life. And I think it's so important, especially for those of you who are not Christians yet, to understand it's a variation of a quote that Benjamin Franklin made so many years ago. It's an improved version of his quote. And the old saying is is that sin is not bad because it's forbidden by God, but it's forbidden by God because it's bad. If that light could just go on in the heart and the mind of every single person who is under the misconception that this Bible is filled with commandments that are unnecessary, that are just meant to encumber our life, and the only reason that these things are bad is because God has forbidden them, rather than to realize that, no, what is the case is that he is such a loving Heavenly Father, he has forbidden them because he knows that they are bad for us. When he forbids something, it's for our good. When he calls us to do something, it's only for our good. And he has made us, and he's made the heavens and the earth. He knows how all of it works. He knows how it doesn't work. He knows that there's a curse that's attached to every sin. It's built into every sin And it's how not to live. It puts us at odds with all of creation spiritually and mentally and emotionally and physically. And all you have to do is just open our eyes up to our own families, 
to our own schools, our own workplaces, our own neighborhoods, the world that we live in, and to just look at how many people are cracking under the life of sin. There's a penalty that is paid for living a life of sin that, is, that begins to occur long before an eternal penalty is paid. It's paid in this life. Sin breaks people. It destroys people. And look at how many people are being destroyed under a life of sin. And then you look at the quality of the life of those who know God and love God and obey his word and the quality of life that we're able to live. The Apostle John wrote in his first epistle, the very thing that Benjamin Franklin was trying to say and even our attempts to improve and Adapt Benjamin Franklin saying, when he said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They are life-giving, and they are liberating. And what a privilege it is to be able to know and to obey this word and then get to live the life that we get to live as a result. I am humbled and I bless God today for this highway of holiness and the privilege of being able to walk on it and to live the life that is found on it. None of us are going to be perfect until we're in heaven. But we are moving in the right direction, as the old saying goes, I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And that is a good direction to be going in life. I want you to notice uh, number four in verse eight, that life on this highway of holiness is foolproof and it's fail safe. And I like this very much. It gives me a lot of hope. Notice it says in verse 8, whoever walks the road, although a fool, don't raise your hand or poke anyone, shall not go astray. In other words, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. You don't have to be the smartest person in life to walk this road and to enjoy all of its blessings. All we have to do is be obedient to the Lord Sometimes this kills really smart people who become Christians. And they fight their own mind in terms of, well, I don't know if that's such a smart thing to do. I don't know if that's such a wise commandment. I don't know if I agree with that. And then they have this ongoing battle that they have with God. And so their journey on this highway of holiness is this, it's just fits and starts. They take two steps forward and one step back and two steps forward and one step back 
And, you know, they got whatever it is, 1,200 or 1,400 or 1,500 on their, you know, SAT scores or whatever the top number is on it. And they could get into any Ivy League school that they would want to get into and all. Now they find themselves a Christian and they've got all this kind of sharpness and smartness and all of this that leads them to into this some kind of a dialogue and battle with God. And then they look at somebody over here who didn't even graduate, not only from high school, but elementary school. And their life is so blessed. And they hear from God and they love to pray to God. And they speak to God as if he was their best friend. And they know and have a personal relationship with God that this other person sometimes can only dream of. And they wonder how in the world can someone who is as simple as that in terms of life and even intellect and life experience, how can they be excelling me so greatly in this? Because advancement on this in this life, fully experience everything on this highway. It has nothing to do with our intellect or our smarts. It is all tied to just simply obeying his word. And all of the countless blessings of Christianity can be fully realized and experienced by every Christian, no matter what our strengths or our weaknesses, God is no respecter of persons. So it's not only foolproof, it's fail-safe. In that line, whoever walks on the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. That line is also intended to emphasize that the certainty of us arriving in heaven one day as a Christian that it is not dependent on me or my human ability, but it is dependent upon God. That this salvation that's found in Jesus is not only foolproof, but it's fail-safe. And Jude said the very same thing in his epistle, verse 24. He said, Now unto him, that is God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is able to keep us from falling. He will keep us from falling and failing in this Christian life. And one day he will present us before the presence of the Father with exceeding joy. And Jude, as he thinks about all of this, can't help but praise the Lord for that confidence. And he said, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Don't ever not become a Christian because you picked up a Bible sometime and you began to read the commandments within that Bible and you thought to yourself, I'll never be able to do it. I'll never be able to keep those commandments. I'll never be able to keep one of those commandments. I can't do it. I'm too weak to obey even the smallest of God's commandments. You need to realize that when you're born again by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he is bigger than every problem you have and he's bigger than every addiction that you have and he will get you from here to there once you become a Christian. 
and he will give us the motivation to obey God's word and he will give us the power to obey God's word and he will give it to us in that order, giving us the will to do and the power to do of God's good pleasure is how Paul put it in writing to the church at Ephesus. And we notice too, not finally, but almost finally, in verse 9, this highway is a place of safety. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. And the idea isn't that we won't face hardship or difficulty in our Christian life between now and heaven, because we will. There will be Christians all around the world today who will become martyrs for their faith, for simply being a Christian in the wackiness and the darkness of the world that we live in today. But what it is saying is that nothing outside of God's perfect will for our lives will touch us on this path. Nothing that he will not overwhelm with his wisdom and his power and his love and work together for our good. Nothing that will in any way threaten our ultimate arrival one day in heaven. I could quote uh, Jude 24 again. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling is making the same point. Or we could go to that one of the great stanzas or verses of that great hymn, Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And so it isn't that there won't be difficulty, but none of those difficulties will put us in any danger of one day ending up in heaven. And once we're home in heaven, we'll know firsthand what Paul declared to the church in Rome. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And finally, notice in verse 10, this highway of holiness results in a life of joy and gladness, and it will never, ever be a source of sorrow or sighing or disappointment. In other words, not only will no one regret having spent their life on this road once they're in heaven, no one will regret having been introduced to this road and then having spent their whole life walking on this road in this life. I don't regret one moment of being a Christian. I don't regret one moment of being on the path that... God has placed me on as a result of becoming a Christian. And I know that you feel the same way. It is such a privilege to be able to live the Christian life. I would have thrown my life away a hundred different ways. A hundred different ways I would have destroyed my life. By now, if I had not been taken off of the paths that I once walked and placed upon this path. There is never any regret, not even in this life, for anything that we experience on that path and the sense of privilege to be able to live this life. 
I hate to think that a single person so often is portrayed this way, but the idea that the Christian life is some kind of a grim experience and that, you know, we're going to, that you try and force people into it. Yes, all right, you need to be born again. You just got to get this fire insurance and then you just got to grin and bear it between uh, here and heaven. I don't know what Christianity they're talking about. It's a a disservice to describe Christianity in that way or to try and drive people into it. I'll tell you, if there were only a handful of things that I would want to have ingrained in the congregation of the people that I pastored once I'm long gone is this realization and sense of privilege that is ours to be able to live this life. It's the most glorious life that a person can live. And there's a song of praise and joy in this life, Isaiah tells us, that is only found on this path And to miss that song is to miss everything in life. One of the worst feelings in life is that of being lost. Not knowing morally, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically where we are at the moment not knowing what direction we're heading in, not knowing if it's the right direction, not knowing where this path is going to take me, how this path is going to end and where it's going to end. And what a spiritual and emotional and mental and physical toll this not knowing takes on every single person and might be taking on you this morning. And you can be relieved of all of that toll by putting your faith in Jesus this morning and then being placed into the hope and the blessing and the security of the life of the highway of holiness. And it's real. And it's just a prayer away from receiving into your life. You have been made by God, but you haven't just been made by God. You have been made for God, and you need to come to him this morning. He has a highway of holiness for you. You will enjoy that path in a way that no one else in human history quite has with a uniqueness because of the uniqueness of who you are. And you will bring him pleasure and you will offer him praise and thanksgiving and worship from that path in a way that no one else will be able to quite exactly do the same thing. And it's all just waiting for you today. But he's a gentleman He won't force you in. I would force you in. That's how carnal I am. I'd put you in a headlock and I'd call ten elders forward and we would give you the Dutch knuckle rub on your head and not let you go. I'd waterboard you. That's what I would do. But I'm not the gentleman that he is.
Who would want to be in a relationship with someone that you had to do that to get them to begin the relationship? That'd be a terrible thing. And so God won't do it to you. He gives you the offer. He reveals his heart to you and his desires. But you control your destiny. You control your path in life. I'm just here to tell you that there's another path and to call on you to get on it if you are not on it and to let you know there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after this service who would love to pray with you to enter into the life that God has for you. And it happens in an instant by putting your faith in Christ today. Take advantage of the opportunity. Come out from under this disoriented feeling, this feeling of panic and fear that life on an international level, a national level, but also on a personal level can so often be our portion There is a place, a path of certainty, a path of peace, and it's this path. Come forward this morning when our service ends in just a moment. I shouldn't say that it it ends when my part in it ends here. And we're led in a worship song. The service is going to continue as you fellowship with one another. You come forward and let these men and women answer your questions and pray with you to begin this life that God has for you this morning. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you from this place, from 4300 American Avenue, Modesto, California, 945, whatever. We thank you for this highway of holiness. We thank you for the privilege of being on it. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We thank you for the privilege of obeying your word. We bless you and we praise you this morning for the life that is ours because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for taking us off of those old paths, lifting us up out of the miry clay, and setting our feet on such a solid rock. We thank you and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike, would you close us?